Hello, everybody! Welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. My name's Dave and I'm your host. Now, what we do at Stand Up Tragedy is we invite people to come up and stand on stage and do some tragedy. So that means whatever they think is tragic. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I may, hopefully they know what they're going to do, but it's going to be an, an exciting ride between different emotions in this room. And so we should expect to see some tragedy because when you go out down the street, you might get hit by a car anytime, and that would be a tragedy that you wouldn't expect. Well, here in this room tonight, we should expect some tragedy. There will be tragedy talked about tonight on this stage so prepare yourself for sad things but we, we at Stand Up Tragedy we like to make people cry until they laugh and laugh until they cry so and make a safe space to talk about unsafe things so that's the kind of night you're going to get tonight now this is the kind of sad min section of the show and then we'll get started with some actual proper performance in a minute but we are a live show as well as a podcast so you can listen back to tonight and hear it again if you like and direct your friends to listen to it in the future. We're here in the Banshee Labyrinth at 7.30 every day until the 30th of August. Uh, we've got some really great guest hosts, so if you hate me, you'll love them, because they're much better than me, uh, who are doing various different dates. So get, get a flyer off us and find out what guest collaborations we have in store. Coming up on Saturday, we have uh, the comedy uh, sketch group tra uh, Casual Violence doing a hour of tragic violence for us in this room. And then on Sunday, we've got the uh, Other Voices Cabaret who are going to do other tragedies for us in this room on Sunday. And then on Monday, we've got guest host Keith Jarrett, who is a fantastic spoken word artist. Now, this show is part of the PBH Free Fringe, which means it's free to come into the room. That's great. Uh, and if you leave, it's also free. But uh, when you leave, we would ask you if you can, if you could afford to, to pay what you think the show is worth with some donations. Um, so we live in tragic times at the moment. We live in a politically pretty tragic times. Everybody's a bit hard up, but that means that it's also an important time to support the arts. So if you do have any money, if you could give that to us at the end of the show, not all of it, just however much you could afford to pay, um, then that would be really great, not just for the arts, but also for me, because I lost my job a couple of years ago as a result of the cuts, and now I'm a proper artist all the time, which means I have no money. So yeah, if you want, if you want me and my partner to be able to pay our rent for the rest of the year pay wisely at the end of the show so yes uh, if you want to f find us on Facebook you can make friends with the tragedy which is a be uh, the best thing to do with tragedy I think uh, you can also follow the tragedy on Twitter at stand up for tragedy and if you want to tweet about the night use the hashtag tragic moments so there we go sadmin is over the more exciting and interesting stuff is now going to start happening so everybody our first act it's amazing to have them on they come on like a really short notice they did a show at 4:30 today and then they came out of that and said yes we'll do a slut and uh, that's the that's the great stuff i've seen them a couple of times doing sluts everywhere so i think they are very poly slotterous i think so yes uh, their show is jiggly bits at 4:30 at cowgate head from now to the 29th of August. Put your hands together, everyone, for Sticky Biscuits! Thank you very kindly. So, I've, that's the happiest I've ever been about uh, being called slotty. <laughs> so, uh, we have three very tragic songs for you today. And uh, I will play them as soon as I have figured out how my ukulele works. And uh, the first one is a song that I wrote about an ex of mine, which uh, 
I don't know, anybody here ever tried Googling their ex? Yeah, at least you guys time. admit it. See, nice. in other rooms are like, no, I would never do that. All those liars. So, and and I did, uh, and I'd only tried it once because I got over 60,000 hits because he has one of the most common names there is. So I wrote this song for each and every one of you who has ever dated an Adam Smith. <laughs> it's called Ungoogleable You. <laughs> At first it hurt When I found you were common as dirt I thought you were one of a kind Only to find You were one in a million of you Please don't let it be true How am I supposed to keep an eye on you? character solo. a sad song and it is about the sad reasons people go into particle physics do we have any physicists in the house yeah yeah really ah oh, oh, darn it we actually we had some we had some what did we have 
astrophysicists yesterday. We were like, holy cow. Yes. There's like a gang of them, which I guess you have to move in a gang because if astrophysicist all by himself, he'll be dead. Five minutes. Um, are you ready? I think so. Whoa, dude. That's loud. We're from Berlin. We're techno.
much. And now for our last song, I need somebody to hold my glockenspiel. And that's not a euphemism. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yay, give it up for Dave, the amazing glockenspiel holder. Yay. Man, all right, that's perfect right there. If you can hold that, that's gonna be really hard, I'm telling you now. Okay, so we are playing a glockenspiel because we are that kind of hipster. And this is a very tragic, but also happy song I wrote about an ex-girlfriend of mine. We were on another date. It was getting rather late. I brought you to your door like so many nights before. But as you turned to say goodbye, I thought I'd give it one more try. And I leaned over and I whispered in your ear, my dear, would you like to be my sock puppet? Show me your cunt and let me fist fuck it. Would you let me linger with my palm and all my fingers so deep inside of you? But that's not what you would let me do. You wouldn't be my sock puppet. You told me to buzz off and go shove it. So I went home all alone, feeling quite forlorn and stayed up watching porn. <laughs> then a few weeks later, you invited me for tea. We sat there quite politely with your extended family. You never told me that your grandma looked like Helen Mirren. I felt something stirring. And since you had said no, I thought I'd go and give it a go. Can you guess what I did? <laughs> Mrs. Appleby? Would you like to be my sock puppet? Would you like to feel my hand up it? Even though you're old and wrinkly, I could make your eyes all twinkly if you just let me try. And they say to try it once before you die. Be my sock puppet. Like I'm Jim Henson and you're the Muppet. Would you let me slide my hand deep inside? Cause that's where I like to hide my keys and my wallet and my phone. Be my sock puppet. I'm pretty sure that you'd love it. And now she can't get enough of fitting me like a glove. Guys, 4.30 every day at Cowgate Head. Thank you. Sticky biscuits, everybody. Yeah, so I'm doing a show myself about masculinity at uh, 12.05 every day at the Cabaret Voltaire and uh, my shaking arms, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that men get uh, mocked for not being strong enough, but I don't, I don't care about that because that's why I'm doing that show. So you can come and see that. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> that was kind of crowbarred in, but I realized I didn't mention it earlier on. Right, so our next performer, uh, let's see, well, uh, he, he, well, I didn't expect to be introducing this, this person onto a stage uh, anytime soon, particularly because I have a quite traumatic relationship with Christmas. Uh, but put your hands together, everyone, for Santa! Yay! 
Yeah, hello. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> bit out of season, I'm aware. But obviously, I'm Santa. I've been, um, I've been touring the UK, you lucky bastards, and uh, been doing that uh, in these summer months to kind of explain the origins of Christmas, and uh, while setting out upon that task, uh, stumbled across a sad story, so I, I heard about this show, I got in touch with Dave, and I thought, I've got some proper tragedy for you. <laughs> the origins of Christmas. Now, you might think, um, a lot of people seem to think, in fact, that uh, Christmas is like this ageless, timeless tradition, like, you know, sleeping on a mattress or weighing in the bath. <laughs> I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't blame you think thinking that. A lot of people do, but you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong, in fact. It all, uh, it all started in, in 1962 there. Um, getting in the spirit of the 60s, I see. Me and Mrs. Claus were going strong. Sorry, my memory's not what it was, what with being quite elderly. Um, me and Mrs. Claus were going strong, married and in love for the most part, and I was young and I was happy, mostly. Uh, thing was, though, I suffered from seasonal affected depression. Uh, I always have. Uh, ever since I was young, every winter, it, it just sort of cripples us. You're like, I don't like how everyone sort of retreats in themselves and swaddles themselves in all these clothing and, you know, the days are short and the nights are long. I get really depressed and, and Barbara, bless her, my wife there, you know, she, uh, she, she wanted to help. So she says, what if, right, what if in the middle of winter, every year, right at your darkest period, um, you make a point of making gifts for everyone you know, right? And, and we'll, have a, we'll have a big gathering, we'll all get together, we'll... You know, we'll sit around a table and we'll get pissed and you can give everyone the gifts you've made and if they want to, you can, they can give you some back and give something to each other and it'll be great, right? And she was, she was lovely back then. I mean, this is before, you know, before the holiday when I've... Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to... Um, <laughs> I reluctantly at first agreed and, and uh, we sent out invitations, explained it all to our friends and family and to be honest, it was, it was wonderful. Um, I mean, it was difficult. It was really difficult. I, I started preparing months in advance, like writing lists of all the people I knew that I'd want to give gifts for and, and then sourcing the materials and making the things. And uh, the team up at her dad's old factory in the north was a great help, but I put a lot of the work in myself, you know. Uh, that, was, that was the point, really, and, and it worked. Like, I had something to do. And, um, and I'd still get low, but with Barbara there egging us on, like... It'd get us through the darkest days. It, it really would. Safe from the knowledge that I was sort of, I was living and I was working for other people. Do you know what I mean? Um, and the day was superb. Everyone gathered round. Uncle Terry's jokes, like mum's smiling present. Even my dad enjoyed it. So we started doing it year on year, December twenty fifth, and it started to catch on. And uh, we're told, ah, yes, now we're told friends about it, and. Um, and our table grew and grew every year. And then there were other tables. We were getting invitations to other people's parties like we didn't know. And uh, then I, re I remember I remember the first, the first year we got an invitation from abroad, right? We get an invitation from Russia. And this is when Barbara, that's Mrs. Close to you, says, right, this is enough. We need to stamp some ownership on this because, like, we invented this, you know, and people need to know that. And I was like, no, well, it's not about... So besides, it needs a figurehead. Do you know what I mean? You need one person to sort this out, right? How about this, she says. Whoa, bless her cotton socks, she says. How about every invitation we get, you make gifts for 
all of their friends as well. And I agreed. Maybe that's, that's where it started going wrong. I mean, apart from the holiday, but we'll get to that. Um, it grew and it grew and it started rolling. Barbara was this like PR wizard, right? And I was heading up the factory. And pretty soon it was getting on to be a year round job, like international deliveries, the entire world got on board. And it truly was absolutely magical because it had just grown out of nothing, just out of love and a need to cope. And suddenly it was really taken off. So we needed to get away. Fast forward, summer 1973. <laughs> Uh, me and Barbara are in Mallorca for two weeks, right? We're getting away from it all for a bit. Do you know what I mean? Holiday with the missus. Anyways, right, two days in, her mum gets sick, so she has to go home. Stay, though, she says to me, right? You've earned it. So I did. That's when I met Anna Rita. She was this waitress, right? at this gorgeous little uh, restaurant by the harbour, Port de Soleil, right in the south coast of Mallorca, small town, beautiful, right? She caught me eye one evening. I'd ordered the swordfish. And, uh, <laughs> Santa eats swordfish <laughs> when he wants to. <laughs> um, so Bob's had left, and I was feeling sort of empty, and it was like the first time in ages I'd not been without. So Anna Rita serves me tea, and she goes, she, she coos, she goes like, all alone. <laughs> said, you know, it's not racist, that's just how they speak in Mallorca. <laughs> I don't know, it was a long time ago. Um, I, still, I still remember how I've, a, a voice haunted us. I don't do it justice, right? But it was, it was like honey sliding down a glacier. It was lovely. I had this ferocity in it, but, uh, but so sweet. And I, I, I grinned, I was like, just me, right? And I, I knew, I knew what I was doing even then. And I hated myself for it, but I went back. Night after night, I went back and uh, on the third night, I became a regular. I'd like ingratiate myself, you know, because a regular means more than just going a lot. You have to like chat on with people and everything. And on, the, on the fourth night, she asked us whether I'd like to walk along the beach with her after our shift. She asked me. I, I feel like that's important. Um, <laughs> so I did. I finished my meal. I went back to the flat and I, just, I couldn't get my head straight. I went and picked her up and, and we walked up to this, this viewpoint, right? Um, we never really talked about how we felt about each other. It was just sort of understood. It was like we both knew. And we walked along the viewpoint as the sun set, and we were leaning on the rail and overlooking this wide purple-orange Mediterranean. And she looks at us, and she leans her head on my shoulder. And I say, my wife, like, she had to go home. My mother, I'd already explained it, but there she was just glowing. And the rest of the week was ours. I'm not sure I spent any of that week looking at anything other than her eyes. Like a drink, a skin. I mean, a love is a strong word. It, but it was strong, and, and then the second week came round and the arguments began. I was like, this has been the perfect holiday. And she says, stay. I say, me wife, me work, like all that I've, she's, the, all that Barbara's done for us, not to mention Christmas. Like, she'd heard of it, obviously she'd heard of it. It was a big thing by now. Why has gone away? To be honest, though, I think it changed the texture of things for her a bit. No, and she was shagging a celebrity, like... <laughs> I, it's true. I saw it in her eyes. Like, it was this... It had been this just melancholy thing of, like, a fling with a married man to sudden this determination of want, like... You're a famous person. And she says, uh, drop it all for me. 
Right, I remember. I remember the words falling out. A mouse actually said it. Like, everyone had been thinking it. No one had to say it. She didn't come with us when I got on the plane home. She stayed in the flat, like, sobbing, like, the way a hyena laughs. And I left the door, and... I got back, Barbara was, was there to meet us and she was lovely. Her mum was fine, by the way. <laughs> it wasn't the same anymore, though. Like, the spark had gone. I think she knew. Like, we've never really talked about that holiday. 40 years. I still think of her. Most years she's on the good list, right? <laughs> Which is great, because I, I get to see her and... I like to think that she's like really good, you know, like saving the whales and working for a cancer charity on the weekends. <laughs> Reality is she's probably just getting by. It's become a lot easier to get on the good list since business has started going so well. <laughs> One or two years she's been on the bad list and that's worse because all I get is the list. Like, I don't know if she's just been mean to her mum or if she's got away with murder. Just the list. <laughs> and that's when I want to see her most as well, you know? Like, whenever I do see her, obviously she's asleep. She just tried staying up for us a couple of times, but you didn't catch Santa. <laughs> There's always the temptation just to climb in next to her, just to, like, drop off the map, map escape, wake her up. Like, every year, it's all on my shoulders now, do you know what I mean? It's more than me. I mean, you can't just cancel Christmas. No one else can do this job. It's beyond that now. That decision was made a long, long time ago, but each year the wound just reopens a tiny little bit. I think back to that holiday, just lying on our bed. I played it safe. I, I do love my wife, right? I have a love for her of sorts. And <laughs> you know how it is. I still have work to do every Christmas, and that keeps the darkness at bay. It's the rest of the year that's the bugger now. It's not an all-year gig anymore. Not the way technology's advanced. I get it all off Amazon now. <laughs> Two-month jobs tops. It's the rest of the year. Like, people pray for Santa once a year. You see him in the supermarket in August. Didn't want an R. <laughs> it's not loneliness as such. It just gets a bit stale, you know? I don't know why I've decided to tell you this. I, I guess it's just... I wanted you to know that everyone at some point in their life has one of these decisions to make. Even Santa. Even me. And there's a, there's a choice sometimes, right, between what you want to do and what you must. That's what I'm really trying to say is, fucking Merry Christmas. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> make the absolute most of it, cherish it, like, and surround yourself with everyone you absolutely dearly love. Do not piss and moan and waste it, all right? Like, for me, if nothing else, <laughs> no idea how much I've sacrificed for this gig. <laughs> Santa, everybody, otherwise known as Matt Miller. You can find that at MattMiller2805 on Twitter. Right, OK, so our next performer, she is doing a show uh, that I ran from, in fact, to get here tonight. Uh, it's a really great show. Um, I've seen it, seen it now, so I can even more gush about it than I have been gushing beforehand. It's called Howl of the Banshee... Uh, uh, Howl of the... It should have been in the Banshee Labyrinth. You're absolutely right. Uh, yes. 
Howl of the Banty at the Stafford Centre. It's only on until the 22nd, and it's at 6.15pm, so really go and see it, guys. It's a really excellent, moving, powerful show. Like, it gives you all of the emotions, a little bit like Stand Up Tragedy, but, you know, all on one very, very annoying topic, which is banter and how fucking annoying banter is. Yeah. Um, you know, so go expecting some feelings and go to it soon. Uh, you know, tomorrow... It's a good day to go, for example. Right, but you have to see another one for AJ McKenna! So, yeah, I'm, I'm doing Howl of the Banty um, straight after me in the same venue as Chella Quint, who's doing um, uh, Adventures in Menstruating. So we've been flyering people today with both flyers and saying they can see some shows about queers and periods. Um, <laughs> I can only speak with authority about one of these things. Um, <laughs> And that's why I found Chella's show so eye-opening. Um, what I'm going to be talking about tonight um, is, is something that I kind of wanted to include in my show, but I wasn't able to actually really find a way of getting it in there. And that's when things cross the line from being just stuff that's, um, that's just banter, that's supposedly meant humorously, and then turn into um, actual threats and actual abuse, um, mainly from people on the internet. Um, and I was thinking about that this morning because this time last year I was actually, um, I was working as deputy editor of an online LGBT magazine called So So Gay. Deputy editor sounds like a really, really cool job, but it's the same as being like the assistant head teacher of a school. <laughs> like, you know, you, you theoretically are important, but basically you do all the grunt work for like the person who is actually in charge. Um, so, and as part of this, I, I got involved in a controversy where I was arguing with some transphobic mixed martial arts fans in America quite heavily, which was really interesting because I was getting sent threats by people who could theoretically have killed me with their bare hands, but they were in America. So I was just like, fucking come on then. Um, yeah. Um, the death threat from the person who lived in Sunderland, which we'll get to later on, that was a bit more scary. Um, but so that was, that was interesting. And it's been a while since I've had an actual full-on death threat. The nearest thing I had to it recently um, came when I, um, I'd, I'd had a disagreement over something with Peter Tatchell on Twitter. Has anyone actually, has anyone done that yeah. in here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there are two things that are really, really, cool. <laughs> well, there are two things that are really interesting about disagreeing with Peter Tatchell, at least online. And one is, some of you may have experienced this as well. One is that he, really gets the arse. Like, he just really, like, he just gets really, really, really super offended. And you're just like, look, I'm, I'm just disagreeing with you on this. But the other thing that happens is he has really, really, does everyone here know what a stan is? Like a deranged, demented fan from the Eminem song. Um, like someone who really, really defends their idol. There is a fantastic Peter Tatchell stan on Twitter. I had to block him eventually because of all the messages. But some of the stuff he was, so, hmm? He's been suspended. Yeah. Oh man, such it, it was. It was poetry. Some of that stuff. It really was. <laughs> I mean, um, apparently, like one of the things I did because I dared to disagree with Peter Tatchell was I I danced bare-breasted round a sacrificial fire, toasting the corpse of Peter Tatchell. This was one of the things I got accused of doing. Um, and then the next one was, yeah, you won't be disagreeing with Peter Tatchell when ISIS burn you which presumably they were going to burn me for dancing around a fire with my tits out, I guess, you know. Um, so, yeah, um, tits do feature 
in the poem I'm going to do about death threats. Um, <laughs> be because um, this, is, this is the woman in Sunderland. Uh, the, the only time I have literally been slightly in fear of my life from someone on the internet um, was a girl I met at a party in Sunderland who decided that she didn't like me. And she didn't like me because it was, it was kind of one of those parties. Um, and she thought I was like coming on to her sub, her submissive, basically. And there were a number of reasons I wouldn't do this. One, he was really, really like, you know, like a young guy and I wasn't really that into that. Um, two, he was a furry. Like, do people know what furries are? I I'm not, if you are a furry, that's fine. Y-K-I-O-K, -okay. that's totally fine. But like, I, you know, I'm, I didn't want to take him for walkies, you know. Um, but she figured that I did. And so she fixated on this idea that I was this mean, evil, trans harpy trying to steal her man and kept sending me these increasingly vituperative threats. And the most final threatening one, um, one of the things, the thing is that she wasn't very, very bright, bless her. And um, she had trouble formulating things. And I think she'd resorted to a thesaurus at one point because she got sick of just saying fat all the time. Um, so in one of the death threats, she actually called me buxom. And yeah, I know, I know. And this was, I mean, I, I wasn't really on hormones at the time. And, you know, um, I'd been to a party, uh, been to that particular party, and I'd seen, you know, a woman who had the most impressive Orioles. And I just remember thinking, mine are, mine are like fucking pinpricks compared to those. So, so being called buxom was nice. So I, I wrote a poem about it. And that poem is this. It was nice. You called me buxom when you threatened to have me killed. Though you meant it as a synonym for fat, I should imagine. Still, it felt nice to have one's embonpoir, such as it was then, given pride of place in a statement of your homicidal intention. <laughs> it was nice that you used buxom a rather feminine word, even as you told me that my gender was absurd because it seemed that liking sci-fi and wrestling especially were striking off offences in your court of femininity. It was nice that you used buxom when you warned me to quit the scene, said people like me were obscene and would be hunted down and executed by troops if you ran the regime. I expect you thought I'd be frightened terrified of the probable outcome, but people like you don't matter. And in fact, I'm flattered because you, you, you called me buxom. <laughs> Thank you for your time. AJ McKenna, everybody. <laughs> Okay, so right, our next uh, performer, she is, well, she isn't doing a show in Edinburgh, which is, uh, which is great, actually. I, I, you know, it's good to have people who aren't doing shows occasionally on, on Variety Night. Uh, yes, so uh, she's not doing a show in Edinburgh, but you can follow her on Twitter, at WordGeekSarah. Put your hands together, everyone, for Sarah Thomason! Hello. Um, my iPhone's run out of charge, so I've had to resort to a book. <laughs> uh, there's one poem that I've written today um, because it's about a thing that happened today and obviously I haven't memorised that yet so I'm going to read the ones I've no no wait I'm going to not read the ones 
that I have got in my head, and then I'm going to read the one that's not in my head, it's in my book. And did I mention that my poems are often about social awkwardness? <laughs> um, so this is a poem um, about a girl I went to school with, and I don't usually use someone's real name in a poem, but I forgive, but I don't forget. She was big, Joanne Seaton, not fat, Amazonian. Her victims were beaten, her reign was draconian. She ruled us with fear. It scared even the teachers, the permanent sneer that distorted her features. Now me, I was shy, undersized and precocious. That's probably why I first caught Joanne's notice. She threatened and ridiculed each day the same. She made me feel minuscule, burned me with shame. I ignored it at first, but she only got bolder. So I feared the worst when her hand grabbed my shoulder. I was pinned to the wall, sweating, clutching my bag, when she just said it all. Virgin lesbian slag. And I started to laugh. If you're talking to me, you should really pick one, because I can't be all three. <laughs> Didn't say that out loud, because I like being alive. Um, but I stopped feeling cowed, and I knew I'd survive, because being called gay felt bizarrely empowering. So I just turned away and I left her there, glowering, and with deep inner glee thought, Joanne should be glad. She got two out of three, and for her, that's not bad. <laughs> um, in, I'm going to sort of change between complete escapism and tragic past things. Um, this is... Um, not a poem that I've got any product placement for money for whatsoever, and it's called Starbucklips. <laughs> I didn't know when I took this dead end job just how bad things could get. A month or two slinging biscotti to keep the wolf back from the door till I found something better to do with my useless degree. In the end, it wasn't a wolf that came scratching the forest green paint between me and the end of the world. The dead-eyed and ravenous hordes that surge in every morning were different today. They'd no interest in dark roasted beans, no espresso could rouse them from this blank malaise, and if they had ordered, how would I have spelled their inhuman and guttural names on their paper cups? <laughs> At first they seemed baffled, confused. They knew they came in here a lot, but the craving had changed. A few of them tore at the meat in the hot breakfast rolls. But it wasn't until Razor, eyes wide, tried to flee, then fell down the faux Mediterranean stone steps outside that they suddenly placed their orders. And Alfresco tore open his head, so I bolted the door as they fed. I'd liked Razor, he'd been a good mate, and he'd hated this place just like me. But adrenaline won't let me grieve, not just yet. I've got food for a couple of days, but there's no way of keeping it fresh, so I pick out the seeds and the nuts from the multi-grain superfood loaves, and I store them in cafetiers just in case I am here long enough to be starving. Now it's dark, and the power's gone out. I make camp in additional seating downstairs, build a fire out of chair legs and cups, anything I can find, and thank Razor for leaving his lighter behind. I brew finest Italian blend, and I flinch as they break down the door. Back to naming and shaming my school friends. Um, <laughs> I can't stop thinking about Amanda. I haven't seen her since 1995. I don't even know if she's still alive, but I can't stop thinking about her icy pale, baby blue, pastel shaded eyes and perfectly sculpted spiral perm hair and a school uniform that looked like a school uniform you'd wear to a school disco themed club night. 
not an actual school disco or an actual school unless it was north yorkshire in 1993 and you were the nearest thing for miles to cool and i can feel her giving me the once over the up and down appraisal my wrong length hair and my wrong length skirt and my wrong size shoes and my wrong size boobs and the wrong wrong expression on my face and i brace for the judgment and she says you're gourmet and inside my head, I'm thinking, well, actually, she's probably not wrong because she probably means gormless, which would mean there was nothing going on behind my eyes. And actually, there's too much going on behind my eyes. Like, how does her hair stay in that exact position all day, every day? And if you turned her upside down, would it still be trapped in stasis in that spray? And why is it cool that she's really good at golf? When if I was really good at golf, and I'm not really good at golf, but if I was really good at golf, everybody would say that being really good at golf was pathetic. And how much money and how much time does she spend every single day on cosmetics? And none of this can come out, and none of it can be said, because even if, even if, even if the words didn't trip over my tongue on the way out, if I talked back to Amanda or Chantelle or Joanne or any of them, I'd be dead. And I realise my face is doing it again. Deer in headlights, dazed and confused, any potential comeback, drowning in the verbal vomit that I'm somehow managing to choke back. I look gourmet. So... If you see me in the pub or in the street or at work or anywhere and you say something polite or something friendly or something funny and I just stand and stare and you start to wonder if I like you or recognise you or have even realised that you're there, it's because five different potential comebacks that are being uh, that might be inappropriate are being filtered out and then a tangent has to be followed up and then I'm managing myself out and then I'm realising... I've left the silence too long and then I'm taking stock of my whole life and wondering where I went wrong and suddenly I'm not here at all. I'm in a technology lesson in North Yorkshire in 1993, just Amanda and me, and she says, you're gourmet. This is, um, I wasn't going to do this one, but um, since I also have just seen AJ's amazing show, um, and it kind of fits in with that, I'm going to do it, because it's fun. It's called Sandwich. The misogynists were starving. They thought they'd soon be dead. They had some cheese and pickle, and they had some sliced white bread, but they shook their heads and pondered, and their lips began to tremble. These mysterious components, they just could not assemble. <laughs> then the brightest spark among them cried, let's try the internet. We could download the instructions, and we'll fill our bellies yet. But the recipes they found online were very complicated, and pretty soon they'd given up their appetites unsated. The hunger pains intensified and they began to yelp as the realisation hit them that they'd need to ask for help. They knew, although they'd never say, that feminists were clever, so they made a plan to trick them into helping their endeavour. They went on all the forums and the social network sites, they made awful sexist comments, started flame wars and picked fights, and when they found a woman who seemed savvy, smart and witty, they'd say, bitch, make me a sandwich, and they'd pray that she'd take pity. <laughs> but the planet isn't working and they're slowly getting thinner and it looks like the misogynists aren't getting any dinner. And when the last of them succumbs to painful, slow starvation, will we mourn their tragic passing? No, we'll have a celebration. <laughs> uh, utterly inappropriate change of tone. Um, this is a poem I wrote today uh, for reasons that will become clear, and it's called Induction. Five years ago, my sister had a baby, and being enormous geeks, she and her partner called their daughter Io, after Jupiter's most volcanic moon, chaotic, 
volatile, the interesting one. At 13 months, Io had solved the puzzle of the baby gate and would emit a shriek like a car alarm if anybody else got in her way. Io's twos were so terrible, this is absolutely true, that her big brother, all arms and legs and blunt philosophy, informed us cheerfully, if I were Io's little brother and not her big one, I wouldn't have been born. <laughs> Io at three, her almost constant rage began to blossom into caustic wit. Most toddlers are to some degree quite gullible, susceptible to bribes. Not Io though. Her side eye was perfected long before she could pronounce a, a weary, were we, mummy? Io at four, her language skills caught up with that erupting mind. She educates us, gleeful but impatient because we'll never be as bright as she is. Today, she's starting school. She isn't really frightened, oh, not Io. That, this bright volcanic moon child, were we? Were we? But as she pouts and whines, my sister tells her, don't be afraid, I know you'll like it there. Your teacher, Miss McClure, is really nice, and you're so good at adding up and spelling, you'll soon make loads of friends. School will be fun. Io at five, a bright volcanic moon child, who loves to solve the puzzles of the world and won't be fooled into conformity, who loves division sums and hates to share, whose lip is trembling as she holds my hand. I know exactly what she's walking into. I smile and lie. Thank you. Sarah Thomason, everybody! And, uh, I mean, I, I used to work with, uh, with, with uh, the under fives, um, and, uh, yeah, that was the job I mentioned earlier on. They got cut, because that's the kind of world we're living in at the moment. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that poem, I used to feel that all the time. I used to see all those kids, and all kids, when they're under five, you can, they, you can see the goodness in them. Like, at that age, you can see it in all of them. You can see the goodness in them. And you know that they're going to school. And you know what school is going to do to them. Or at least I know what school did to me. Uh, you can find out about it at 12.05 every day at Cabaret Voltaire. <laughs> apart from on Mondays. Right. Uh, okay. So I'm going to bring on our last piece of tragedy today. He's doing a show called Christian Tilbert is shite at being Irish, which gives away his name, but I'm going to shout it in a wrestling kind of way in a minute anyway. He's doing that at the Underbelly Med Quad at 5.20pm every day until the 31st. Put your hands together, everyone, for Christian Tilbert! Hello, everybody. My name's Christian Tilbert, and uh, I'm from Ireland. And I'm shite at being Irish, uh, quite frankly. I'm so bad at being Irish uh, that I can't actually get any gigs in Ireland. Uh, I can't get any shows. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible. What I've had to do in order to do uh, stand-up comedy in Ireland is that I've had to create an alter ego for myself. I've had to create a character uh, in order to do comedy gigs. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn around and when I turn back around, what I'd like you to do is give me a big round of applause and welcome me to the stage. Okay, so here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome to the stage Paddy Joe McGinty! That's a crack 
What's the crack? 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 Are we drinking? Are you 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 are you drinking? 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 What are you? A Protestant? It's funny because that's still a thing in Ireland, apparently. Where are you from? 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 Banter, banter, I, I, I use two friends. <laughs> You're punching above your weight. What? <laughs> Do you remember? Here's relatable material, ladies and gentlemen. Relatable material for all the Irish. Uh, uh, do you remember you'd go down to mass and uh, you'd get the Latin mass and you wouldn't understand it? That was great crack, wasn't it? Do you all remember that? What? What? Here's more relatable material. Do you remember when you were a kid and you'd go to school and your mother would cover your school books in uh, wallpaper? Do you remember that? Huh? What? Do you all remember that? Do you remember? Do you remember you go out the back garden and you'd just kill a poor defenseless animal with a stick. Do you remember that? Do you? Do you remember that? What are you? Protestant? <laughs> Here, Tinder, ladies and gentlemen, my Tinder material. Here we go. I'm from a small town in County Tipperary and uh, I went on Tinder and the only two, the only three suggestions it had for me on Tinder was my sister and my two female cousins. You've got to be very, very careful which way you swipe. You know, you don't want them thinking you still have feelings for them after all these years. Sorry, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I'm not the crack. I'm not, I'm not the crack. I don't care what you're drinking. I don't care where you're from. I actually consider myself to be, if not one of the first, perhaps the only anti-crack comedian. <laughs> Would you like to hear some anti-crack jokes? joke book. I couldn't find any wallpaper. We all ready not to have the crack? Yeah. He's not drinking. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, first anti-crack joke. Here we go. An Englishman, an Irishman and a Scotsman are in a pub in London. Of course it's London. There's no jobs in Ireland or Scotland. <laughs> A newly married couple are on their wedding night. Having just consummated the union, the groom says, that was amazing, darling. Aren't you glad we waited? And the other groom says, no, we're both in our 50s. This should have been legalized decades ago. <laughs> Why did the chicken cross the road? Because a group of men were walking towards it and because of our current culture, that's what it needs to do to feel safe. <laughs> Why did the child of a homosexual couple cross the road? Because they were lost and haven't been brought up by two men were incapable of asking for directions. <laughs> That's black and white and red all over. A riddle to distract you from the government slowly eroding your civil liberties. <laughs> There's one nun in the bath. She says, where's the soap? That's as far as that joke goes due to the decreasing numbers of women entering the sisterhood. <laughs> Knock, knock. A bailiff. Just a bailiff come to get your stuff. It's horrible. Horrible thing. Paddy walks into the pub and he says to the barman, is Sean coming in tonight? The barman says, no. Sean has had his farm repossessed by the bank and he shot himself in the head in the barn. 
I don't have a punchline for that. It's just a comment on the harsh reality of arming in Ireland today. Horse walks into a bar. The barman says, why the long face? The horse says, because we're living in a time of economic austerity and political and social conservatism. An Irish woman goes to the doctor. She says, doctor, doctor, I think I'm pregnant. The doctor says, I hope you don't have any complications as the state will always favor the life of your unborn child over yours. <laughs> I was in Dublin the other day. I ordered a coffee. The barman said to me, would you like me to Irish that up? I said, sure. So he charged me twice and denied me the freedom of choice. <laughs> Last anti-crack joke, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. An Englishman, an Irishman and a Scotsman are having a drink. And the barman asks them, if you were a woman for a day, what would you do? And the Englishman says, I'd stay in all day playing with my boobs. And the Scotsman says, I'd spend all day having multiple orgasms. The Irishman says, I'd go to work. I wonder why I'm suddenly being paid 20% less for doing exactly the same job. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, anti-crack jokes. I've been Christian Talbot. Cheers, thanks very much. Christian Talbot, everybody! Oh, wow, it's been a great hour of tragedy, right? So and we've got different lineups every single night at the Fringe, pretty much. On Tuesdays, we, don't, we aren't doing stand-up tragedy, we're doing Getting Better Acquainted, where I'll be in conversation with people, but the rest of the Fringe, different lineup every night, and I'm so pleased with the lineups. So tell everybody about them and get people to come and see them. So yes, so we are at the end of the show, which means that I'm going to remind you uh, that it's free to get in. Art that's free at point of contact is a really important thing, but it's also important to support each other. And if you have money, to share it with others because a lot of people are not doing that and that is why we are in the situation we are in. So if you can afford to give some money to, to Stand Up Tragedy, uh, then please do so. Uh, we will not be embarrassed if it is paper money, although we will be knowing what you're doing if you put in one pound notes. I've discovered they exist up here and that's a nice way of tricking us and making us hopeful. When uh, So don't do that, or do, depends what you want to do to me. So yes, uh, if you want to give us a review on the Ed Fringe uh, review, Com, like on the Ed Fringe site, people say that matters and they must be right, right? So they say it all the time. Uh, and every night I say it, so it must be true, right? So give us a review anyway. Good reviews are equal people coming in. So yes, and you can tweet about us and all that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, I basically am afraid of silence. I get kind of like, I basically don't stop talking, you know, when there's silence. So the best thing to do is kind of, you know, clap and cheer and that sort of thing. So make me talk like, yeah, that's good. And the tragedy is now over.